0: Wow, yeah, go ahead and grab a seat. Um, y'all better buckle up because I don't know why. I've got a little bit of energy flowing this morning. I don't know if it was a little bit too much caffeine or, uh, or what's happening here, but uh, maybe it's just the Spirit, and I'm glad to be here with you. Uh, let's, uh, let's, let's say a prayer before we get started. Maybe I'll calm down a little bit. All right. Whew, Lord Jesus, um, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for the opportunity to be here um, and for the chance to gather together, to hear your word, to experience your presence, and um, to just discover more about who you are, discover discover more about who you say we are. And uh, Lord, we're just going to press into that truth this morning. And so we welcome you here, Holy Spirit. Come, move powerfully. Speak to us. Speak truth. Um, God, if there's voices that are here in this place or that are at us from outside that are not truth, I ask you just to, to, to push those out. Lord, we just ask for your truth to reign supreme in this place this morning um, and for your presence to be here with us um, like we know that it is, but we want to feel it, we want to know it, we want to experience you this morning. We love you, Jesus, and we pray all this in your name. Amen. 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 All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to 2021. I am glad you are here. I am glad to be here. Um, And uh, now our lives are better, like Doug said. We get to move on and remember no, I'm just joking. Our lives are not better. Our lives are the same as they were before. Um, Just because the calendar flips does not mean that um, things have totally wiped out and we, we start new. It's 2021. It means it's a new year, it means that we get to continue enjoying one day at a time in relationship with our Father God. Um, and, uh, and so that's a, that's a big thing. That's a good thing. Um, this morning we're going to dig into the, uh, junk drawer, the sermon junk, r- drunk drawer. Um, I can't even say, r- 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 dr- not, not a drunk drawer. That would be different, <laughs> but that might be what I sounded like. Um, sorry. <laughs> Told you, I don't know what it is this morning, guys. Junk drawer, the junk drawer. Um, and, uh, so there we go. We're going to talk this morning about... The real deal, all right? What's the real deal? Or, or who being the real deal or the real McCoy? You know what that saying means, right? You all kind of know what that... I looked it up. The real McCoy doesn't really come from anything. There's a lot of theories about where that phrase comes from. Um, some people think it's like a derivation of like uh, uh, people mumbling something from Scotland or something like that. Anyway, I don't know. We know what the real McCoy means. And basically... That idea is just about being uh, genuine, right? Being the genuine article, that's another way to say it. Being the, the, the through and through, there is nothing fake about that person or these people or whatever, they are as real as it gets. Um, and uh, so we're going to talk about genuineness this morning. Um, a couple of weeks ago, or a couple months back, I should say, we talked about this idea of hypocrisy, because hypocrisy is the other end of the spectrum from genuineness, right? Um, and, uh, and so we talked about hypocrisy when we talked about Romans 12, verse 9, which is the verse that says, let love be without hypocrisy. Um, and in that message, we really explored the idea of what it means to exist in community um, and to love one another without pretending that we love one another um, and without requiring people to pretend that we love one another. Uh, it says, let love be without hypocrisy. So um, we're going to talk about being the real deal, and we're going to talk about it from a little bit of a different angle this morning, and what it means to live genuinely, to have genuineness in our relationship with God and in our, in our relationship with one another. So I want to read from the book of Luke, chapter 12. Jesus addresses this idea, all right? And, and uh, it's very clear how he feels about hypocrisy from the very beginning. So what we're going to do is we're going to read verses 1 through 3, then a little bit we're going to add verses 4 and 5, and then further on down the road, um, after I have you substantially confused, uh, we are going to read verses 6 and 7, and uh, we're going to clear some things up with that. So Luke 12, verses 1 through 3, it says this. Under these circumstances, wait a minute. All right, so under, so I should have cleared this up first. Under these circumstances, basically that's saying uh, the Pharisees have gotten to the point where they're hostile to Jesus, right? No longer are they just gonna tolerate this guy who's coming in and teaching these things. Now they're hostile and they're actively like, okay, we gotta make a plan, we gotta get rid of them. So under those circumstances, after so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were stepping on one another, apparently they don't know about the COVID six foot bubble, right? After so many people had gathered together, they were stepping on one another. He began saying to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. But there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed, nothing hidden that will not be made known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. That's one through three. So Jesus says to his disciples, there's a big old crowd of people, but he says specifically to his disciples, to the people that believe he is the Messiah, he says, all right, guys, here's what I need you to know. Beware of this leaven. Beware of hypocrisy. Leaven, this leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Beware of it. Because Nothing's covered up now that won't be uncovered. Nothing is said in the dark that's not gonna be shouted from the mount- or from the rooftops, okay? Everything will be laid bare. Everything, you're gonna know everything. So beware of this hypocrisy, this idea. How does that make you feel? How does what 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 are the the feelings, the emotions, whatever that start to like stir within you? You might feel like indigestion. Because generally, how most of us feel is we get this, this, uh, right? This feeling, our stomach starts flipping, we start to think about, oh, what's that gonna look like? When's that gonna happen? When's God gonna lay bare everything that I thought was hidden? All those skeletons that I put away in the closet, when are those gonna get exposed, right? When's God gonna do that? Um, What's that gonna look like? When everything that I thought was covered up and that I wanted to stay hidden, on what day is that going to be aired out? Right, it seems like what, that's what Jesus is saying. He, he says, "I'm going to ha- your dirty laundry is going to be on the line for everybody to see." Okay, tidy whitey's blowing in the wind. Everybody's going to see him. That's what he says. I think most of us like have that, ugh, that tension, right? That starts to build up in, in, inside us. We start to wonder what that's going to look like. We start to feel embarrassed. We start to feel ashamed. We start to all of those things we're afraid right all of those feelings start to well up in us and jesus he says listen he says beware beware of it you better not be a hypocrite because god is going to find you out and when he finds out what you've been hiding it's going to be out for everybody to see there's not gonna be anything hidden that's what he's saying right in verse 4 even Jesus says this. So continue on, verse 4. He says, Now I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body after, uh, excuse me, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you who to fear. Fear the one who, after he kills someone, has the power to throw that person into hell. Yes, I warn you, fear him. Jesus says, Those people seeing your laundry is the least of your worries. That's what he's saying right there. Don't worry about them. You need to worry about God because he has the power to throw you in hell after he kills you. Well, step back a little bit, right? Are you scared? I mean, maybe we should be. If you don't get your act together, God's gonna find out. Find out everything you've been hiding, and you're gonna pay for it. That's what he's right there. So, If there's anybody who would like to come forward and confess sins, we're just going to have an altar. I'm just joking. We're not going to do that. I think in some other settings and other environments, maybe some of you have done that, right? Have gone forward and been like, woo, before God finds out, I better confess it. I got to get right in that way. Well, I want to talk about this scripture right here for just a second because I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I don't. And I think you're going to see that same thing as we talk through this idea of hypocrisy versus genuineness and what it means to live in genuineness. And, um, and as we look at this, it's really clear, very clear. Jesus blatantly warns against hypocrisy. He says, Listen, beware of it. That's not in question. Beware of it. In other words, pay attention to it. Heads up. This, this hypocrisy thing, you got to know about it. So Jesus warns against hypocrisy. But why? Because, he's gonna, because God's going to kill you and he's going to send you to hell when he finds out? Is that what we're talking about? Is that what Jesus is saying? It seems to be. I mean, he says you, you're afraid of people. Don't be afraid of people. That's the least of your worries. You need to be afraid of God who's going to kill you and send you to hell if you don't straighten up. Jesus absolutely warns against hypocrisy but why but why the problem with understanding this message to be you better not be a hypocrite otherwise god's going to put you in your place by exposing everything to everybody and punish you for it that whole understanding is based on the idea that you've done something in secret from god You've done something in secret that God doesn't know about yet. And you're hiding it. And that Jesus is warning his followers that man, God's gonna find out. And when you do, he's gonna shame you and he's gonna punish you for it. But wait a minute. God is aware of everything you've done and everything you will do, right? He is 100% aware of, of the failures in your behavior. So it's not a surprise to God, even if you're hiding it. It's not a surprise to him, which means he's not gonna suddenly discover something that you've done, and now he's gonna punish you and shame you for it. So why, so, so if that's not why God or Jesus, who is God, is warning against hypocrisy, why does he say Beware of hypocrisy. Why does he stay, say stay away from it? He says to stay away from hypocrisy or be aware of hypocrisy because living in hypocrisy is a cycle, and it's a cycle of fear. And it's the cycle of shame, and then there's some self-righteousness that happens, and then there's some judgment that happens, and some condemnation. And now we're afraid again, and now we're ashamed again, and now we're in self righteous and judgment. All this stuff, right? It's just a cycle. It's the cycle. We're going to explore that in just a minute. But the, the reason, and we, as we flesh this out, you're going to see the reason that, hip, uh, that Jesus warns against hypocrisy is because hypocrisy prevents genuine relationships. Because hypocrisy nullifies the very reason for your existence, okay? You will miss the entire reason for your creation. And that reason for your creation is relationship with God and relationship with other people. It always comes back to that. That is the reason for your existence. And hypocrisy nullifies genuine relationships. Hypocrisy prevents you from enjoying relationship with God and relationship with other people. So let's I- explore this idea of hypocrisy right now. I'm calling this uh, the cycle of hypocrisy. And I got a little diagram that I want to show you. This is a cycle of hypocrisy. The first step in this process, the first step in, in, in this cycle of hypocrisy is that we recognize that there is a standard that I don't meet. Okay, there is a standard. It is God, and I don't measure up to it. So we're we're recognizing that, right? Romans 3:23 says, "All of sin falls short of the glory of God." We know that. We know that God is God. We know that I am not. I'm not measuring up to God, and there's there's something up there. That I'm a sinful person. Okay, I've broken the laws of God repeatedly, over and over and over. I'm not a good person. Whatever, however you want to say it, there is a standard. And we don't meet it. We don't live up to it. When we come to that understanding of our sin, generally what we experience is we experience what Adam and Eve felt and experienced in the garden when they sinned. And it's fear and shame, okay? We experience fear and shame. What Adam and Eve sinned, they hid from God because they sinned, right? God says, where are you? Why are you hiding? I said, we, we hid because we were afraid. They're afraid of God and they're afraid of the punishment that would come for not meeting that standard, not living up to that thing. And they were ashamed. They made clothes for themselves because they realized they were naked. So they covered themselves up because they were Ashamed, fear and shame. That's the experience. When we meet that or when we we see that standard, we recognize there is a standard and that standard does exist and we don't meet it. We are afraid of punishment and we are ashamed for our failure, okay? Fear and shame. It's the fear of the holy God that I don't measure up and we experience shame for not measuring up, shame for failing, shame because I should be a better person Right? I should be. I know I should be. My mama taught me to. She taught me better than this. But I'm ashamed because I'm, I'm not. That's the first cycle or step in this cycle of hypocrisy. We recognize that we don't measure up. And that brings on us fear and shame for not measuring up. The second step is that because we, don't rec- or because we recognize that we don't measure up and because we are afraid of punishment, and because we are ashamed of our failure, we decide to do our best and fake the rest, all right? We, we, we decide to, there's a standard that's there, and man, I got to meet that standard, so I'm going to do my best to meet that standard, okay? I'm going to do my best, and because we're afraid and we're ashamed, we decide we're going to fake the rest, we're going to get we're, we're going to we're going to do our absolute best. Put our best foot forward. We're going to make this happen. God's going to kind of reward that because he's going to see that we're doing our best. And then we're going to cover up the areas or pretend that the areas that, that don't quite measure up still don't exist, okay? We're going to fake the rest. Okay? And we d- we subscribe to that adage of fake it till you make it. Because we're trying, right? We're trying. So we fake it till we make it. We're just going to pretend that, that we're doing it and until, man, pretending when we do it eventually leads to doing it, to being able to do it, right? That's, the, that's that whole process. We'll do our best. We'll make our best effort that, uh, that we can, and then we'll fake the rest because there is a standard. And I at least want to try, and I at least want to look like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, okay? That I am who I say I am. I at least want to look like. And when we are in that environment of doing our best and faking the rest, we can actually, to a certain degree, be successful, okay? We can become successful at doing our best. There is a certain level of of success that we can find there. There are certain things that we can excel in, that we we get to be good at, okay? Maybe we're good at creating good habits, and we create those good habits. We become very disciplined in our devotions. We, we wake up at 5.30 in the morning, immediately hit the ground with our knees on the floor and, and pray to God about how this day is gonna be. We get good at that. It's great, it's great. Not saying it's bad, okay? But we get good at that, okay? Maybe we never forget to pray before a meal. We get good at these aspects or these elements of holiness. We change the channel during the Super Bowl halftime show. Because that's not what we need to see, right? We get good at that. We're skilled at doing those things, at those certain elements of holiness. And when that happens, when we're successful to a certain degree at doing our best, not only do we still have that fear and shame, now we throw a little bit of self-righteousness on that because that's the definition of self-righteousness. We are being righteous by our Self-efforts, okay, in our own opinion. By our own efforts and by our own behaviors, that's what self-righteousness is. Self-made righteousness. My efforts. And while we are experiencing some of that success in our own efforts, which happens at various levels for all different people, right? Some people are, are better at it. They're better at performing than other people are. They have more of a capacity for that. Maybe they have more self-discipline for all of those things. But while we're experiencing that success in certain areas, we also still experience fear and shame because we know we're not measuring up to the standard. We still recognize there's still a standard. We're not meeting it, okay? We're still not measuring up to that. And we still have shame that there is a standard that we don't meet, even though it looks like we're doing pretty good on the outside, okay, and we also have fear of punishment for those places that we still think we or that we still don't have together because we're afraid, well, okay, God, mm. listen, I know I'm pretending. I know I'm making it look good. I know I'm doing pretty well here, um, but God's going to get me for that one, right? God's still going to come back around and, and get me for that, though there is less fear because, I mean, honestly, we're trying hard, and certainly my efforts mean something, But now we don't just have that shame and fear. Now we also have fear that we're gonna be discovered for those areas that we don't quite have it together, that we're pretending in, that we're faking it until we make it, right? We're just trying to make it before somebody discovers that we're faking it. So we have fear of being discovered on top of fear of punishment. Now we have uh, shame, for not making the mark and we have shame for covering up the fact that we don't make a, make the mark. See what's going on? While also still being pretty proud of ourselves for being successful in certain areas and kind of covering up the rest, shoving that under the rug. So that's the second step. Do your best, do our best and fake the rest of this cycle of hypocrisy. We make our best effort to live up to the standard and we kind of fake it until we can make it, right? Until, yeah, oh, well, we still can't quite do it. And we're still experiencing shame for not meeting the standard. We're still experiencing fear that somehow God's gonna get us back. But now we're also experiencing fear and shame for faking it, fear and shame for, for, for potentially being discovered while also still being self-righteous in our successes. The third step of this cycle is that now while we're doing our best and we're meeting some measure of success, because we're doing our best and meeting some measure of success, we now hold others accountable to meet the standard in the same way that we are, right? We recognize that there's a standard. We make sure others know that there is a standard. We make it our duty to make sure others know that there is a standard, we make it our duty to make sure they're measuring up to that. After all, we're trying our best, right? We're doing our best, and we're being successful to a certain degree. It's difficult. It's a hard road. I'm not sure uh, if, if I'm, I know, oh, I know I'm not quite all there, but, but I'm trying, and I'm, I'm doing my best, and I'm meeting some success. And if they will just stay at it, they can get there like me. Only you're not there, are you? But you should have, and you know you should have, and so they should too. And our successes in our self-righteousness show that it can be done, right? Come on, everybody can do it. If and if they aren't doing it, well they just aren't trying hard enough. So we hold others to that standard. And when somebody else isn't finding success at least equal to ours or in, 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 in an area that we feel that they should be finding success and then it looks like, or maybe it just looks like they're not trying hard enough, now we can throw on top of our self-righteousness judgment and condemnation because they aren't succeeding, okay? So we add that on top of this thing. All the while, still experiencing fear for the punishment of the things that I've done and continue to do and continue to mess up on, though, I mean, mine aren't as bad as theirs, right? Mine aren't as bad as other people's. All the while still having shame for knowing we're not succeeding in certain areas, And experiencing fear that we're going to be discovered for all of this. And shame for our failures in that way. And now we're back to the top of the cycle. Where we recognize there is a standard that we don't meet. So I'm going to try a little harder to meet it. Do a little more to do our best. We do a little more faking till we make it. Right, We do a little more holding others accountable to the standard that we don't meet, but that they should, because I know I should. And there's judgment, and there's fear, and there's shame, and it goes on and on and on, all the while being reminded that we don't measure up. And the cycle spirals and spirals and spirals and spirals. There is never an end to this cycle. It only gets deeper. And the problem with this cycle and this experience um, is that the deeper we get into the cycle of fear and shame and judgment, and judgment and fear and shame and judgment, the deeper we get into that cycle, the more we get to the place in our life where through all of that, we become so isolated and so insulated from God and from other people is that we get to the point where we can't experience real relationships. Hypocrisy prevents genuine relationships. We get so deep deep in the cycle of being ashamed that we don't meet the standard while also pretending to and deep in the fear of punishment from God and the fear of being found out as a fraud that we keep people and God out because we don't want to be discovered for all of that. And when we do find some kind of a relationship, with people the relationship is with the image that we're projecting okay it's not with me it's with my hypocritical image that i'm putting out there it's not the real genuine me okay which means that the real genuine me doesn't get to experience that relationship and enjoy that relationship it's like in the in the cure they write that the problem with wearing a mask is that only the mask receives the love. Only the thing that you're pretending to do or pretending to be is what people love and know you for. Only, it's not you, right? It's not you. And so this cycle of hypocrisy continues to cycle downward, and we miss out on the thing that we were created for. And it's relationship with God and relationship with other people. That's why Jesus is warning against hypocrisy. Because it is an endless cycle of fear and shame and isolation. It's not because if God finds out, he's going to punish you. God knows there's nothing for him to find out. He knows. And what he also knows is that this cycle only leads to misery, lack of fulfillment, wondering, where did I go wrong? I'm trying. God, why can't I feel you? Why can't I experience you? That's why. Keeping up the facade is exhausting. There's no fulfillment in it. There's no fulfillment in doing your best and faking the rest. He knows you can't do it all. So then what is Jesus doing? Talking about not fearing people, but then fearing a God who can kill you and send to hell. What what is that about, Jesus? If Jesus is warning his disciples about this cycle of fear and shame that leads to hypocrisy or that comes from hypocrisy, what's he doing telling people that they should be afraid of God? You better not be hypocrites, right, he says, or God's going to find out. That would mean mean he's trying to steer people away from a, a cycle of fear and shame by giving them something to fear. That doesn't make sense. It does not make sense. So what is this thing that Jesus is saying? Well, if you don't stop at verse 4 or at verse 5, if you keep on reading. Let's go back and read verse 4 and 5, and then we're going to read verse 6 and 7. Luke 12, verse 4, it says this. "Now Now I say to you, my friends, don't be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who... After he has killed someone, has the power to throw that person into hell. Yes, I tell you to fear him. That's where we stopped. That's the scary part, right? That leaves us in fear. Go on to verse 6. Are five sparrows not sold for two Asaria? And yet not one of them has gone unnoticed in the sight of God. But even the hairs on your head are all counted. Do not fear. Wait a minute, what? You are more valuable than a great number of sparrows. Don't fear people. If you're going to fear, you should fear God, but do not fear. Got to read the whole thing. Jesus says your hypocrisy is based out of fear, fear of punishment from God, fear of other people finding out that you're not quite who you say you are. You're afraid of those things. He says, Don't be afraid of people finding out that stuff. Okay? Don't be afraid of that. If you should be afraid of anybody, it's God who can kill you and send you to hell for eternity. But he knows you so deeply, he even knows the number of hairs on your head, and he knows that one that just fell out. He, it's, that's how deeply he knows you. Look at these birds. We sell, we trade these birds all the time. They're not very valuable, and yet God knows each one of them. Are you not much more valuable to him than those birds? Don't you think God cares for you? Do not fear. And one statement, Jesus has identified hypocrisy. He has identified the source of hypocrisy, which is fear and which is shame. He's identified that and he has eliminated it by saying, don't be afraid of man. If you should be afraid of anybody, it should be God, but don't be afraid because he cares for you. So Jesus warns against hypocrisy, not because you're hiding something from God and he's going to find it out and he's going to send you to tell. He warns you against hypocrisy because in that cycle, you cannot experience freedom of relationship that you were designed for. And then he gives you the one thing that can break the cycle of hypocrisy. The one thing that can break the cycle, there's actually a couple of things, two things that I can think of that break the cycle of hypocrisy. The first one is denying that the standard exists, okay? If you say there is no God, if you say there is no standard, well, then there's no reason to pretend to meet that standard, right? So we can get out of that cycle that way. We know that's not the truth, okay? We know that's not the truth. So Jesus gives, for the believer, the one thing that can break the cycle of hypocrisy. What is it? It's grace. It's grace, it's grace, it's grace, it's grace. Embracing grace breaks the cycle of hypocrisy every time. It's the only thing that can. And Jesus spells it out. He says, you should be afraid of God. You should be afraid of God because you don't meet the standard. Nothing you can do is enough, and when you try, it leads to hypocrisy because you're just doing your best, and then you're going to cover up the rest so other people don't find out that you don't quite meet the standard. You're pretending, maybe God won't notice that I don't meet the standard. Said it's not going to work. You should be afraid of God, but do not fear. This is God standing among you. Jesus is saying this. It's God standing among these people, talking to his followers, the ones that believe he is the Messiah, the one that believes he has come to save them. He's saying, you should fear me, but here I am. I'm with you. Don't I care about you enough to be here right now? Embracing grace breaks the cycle of hypocrisy. Grace solves the problem of sin. Jesus' death and his resurrection, we're buried with him in death, we're raised with him in life. Though we were once dead in our sins and trespasses, Ephesians 2 says this, he says, you were, and you were dead in your offenses and your sins in which you previously walked according to the course of this world, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, With which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Grace solves the problem of sin by making us alive in Christ. New creations, righteous, right now in relationship with God. There is nothing between you and God in Christ. Romans 8, verse 38 For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you have accepted this gift of grace, this sacrifice that he made for you, you have been filled with life. You have been brought into relationship with him, catch this, who is the standard. You've been brought into relationship with him who is a standard. And because of you in Christ and because of Christ in you, because he is the standard, you no longer fail to meet the standard. That's righteousness right now. You no longer fail to meet the standard because God is the standard and God is in you and you are in God. Christ in you, you in Christ. Grace, it's God's gift to you. Free, no strings attached. It's not given as long as you promise to try hard in the future or to make up your mind to strenuously give it all you got. Grace, by definition, is undeserved. In any form, there's nothing from you at any point. If at any point you are given grace because you did your best or you did, a, you did a little better or you're trying hard enough, that's a condition that it's given to you on and it's no longer grace. Paul says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It's a gift because it's given to you. If, if, it's, if it's not given to you freely, then it's a wage. <laughs> Our wages are death, not life but we've been given life in Christ. Grace breaks the cycle because Christ in you and you in Christ no longer fall short of the standard, which means you have no reason to fear God. Jesus says don't fear. You have no reason to fear God in Christ. No reason for shame in his presence, which means you have no reason to fake it till you make it. You know there's not righteousness in your self-efforts. You have no reason to fear being discovered as a fraud because you can be absolute, genuine you. In his presence, you can be the real deal as you are. And knowing all of this to be true for you in Christ, you have no judgment or condemnation for those around you who are in Christ. Whether they're performing well or not. Grace discovered and applied at any point in the cycle of hypocrisy obliterates it. Crushes it. Blows it out. It doesn't exist. Because there's no need for fear in shame there is no need to pretend there is no need to fake anything in grace god knows exactly where you are there's nothing that you will do that surprises him he knows the number of hairs on your head that's what he's saying he knows what you did yesterday he knows what you're going to do tomorrow there's not a reason to hide there's no reason to pretend that you have it all together Doing that only sets you on the downward spiral of fear and shame and pretending you got it together. And just because you apply grace one time and break free from that doesn't mean that you don't step back into it at some point. We've all been there, right? We've all been, we, we experience grace and the freedom of grace. That doesn't mean you won't ever be tempted or Blindly walk into that downward spiral of fear and shame again. We're susceptible. (laughs) We're susceptible to, to people's thoughts and opinions that we're surrounded by, especially if those people are in themselves the cycle of fear and shame, right? That's why Jesus said to his disciples, He says, Beware of the leaven. Beware of the leaven. of of, of hypocrisy. The leaven of the Pharisees. It's not by chance that he uses that image of leaven. Leaven is the thing that you use to make dough rise, right? So think yeast. It's the thing that that makes the dough rise. When you put yeast in dough, (laughs) I just thought about this process. When you put yeast in dough, it eats all the sweet stuff, doesn't it? It eats the sugar, And what it does is it puffs up. Because it eats the sugar, it puts off carbon dioxide, which then makes that dough grow. It's a fermentation process. It's a souring process when the yeast is present. It's not by chance that Jesus uses this term of fermentation, of souring, of eating the sweet stuff of life to describe this hypocrisy this idea and it's not by chance that he uses it the process that describes the puffing up or the growing of the dough you can start out with a dough ball this big and if you wait long enough it'll be eight times its size it just keeps growing until all the sweet is out of it it grows when yeast is activated it grows it spreads that's why jesus says beware of it it spreads Paul uses the same imagery in Galatians 5, which I preach from all the time or I talk about all the time. It's for freedom that you're set free, right? Don't be taken back into that yoke of slavery. He says it's for freedom. Don't try to be justified by the law. If you you submit yourself to one part of the law, then you're you're accepting the law as making it good enough. That's self-righteousness. That's what Paul is saying. And then he says this in verse seven, in Galatians 5, verse seven, he says, you are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. In other words, a little bit goes a long, long way. It only takes a little bit of this thinking to affect the whole batch, to affect your whole life, to affect the whole community that you're a part of. Beware of the leaven. When hypocrisy is present and it isn't combated with grace, it grows and it spreads. It becomes the norm. It becomes the norm. It becomes the environment in which we live in community and in in relationship with God and relationship with other people. We call that the church. And a little bit of leaven affects the whole batch. It grows, it spreads. And then we try to live in that community and relationship with God and with others, but we can't because then we're stuck in the cycle of fear and shame and hypocrisy and hiding and putting up this, this, this front that we got it and things are good and we're okay. And I got this sin stuff under control. And we can't really exist in those relationships can't really enjoy those relationships because all that we can love are the masks that people are putting forward. And the only thing that experience, experiences love is not me, but it's the projection that I'm putting out there. It's the mask. Jesus says, do not fear. Do not fear. There's no reason to be afraid of people. If you're going to be afraid of anything, be afraid of God, but don't be afraid. Afraid, in Christ you don't fall short. In Christ you don't fall short. God is love, perfect love drives out fear in Christ. Jesus knows that you cannot experience the fullness of what you were created for if you're living in fear and shame. If you're living in that cycle of doing your best and faking the rest. When you're born again, you're a a new creation. When you're a new creation, you have nothing to fear from God. You don't have anything to fear from God and you don't have anything to fear from people. Living in genuineness, for better or worse, living in genuineness is the only way that we can ever enjoy relationships. If you've ever been in a relationship where one of you is not genuine, it's not an enjoyable experience, is it? Where you find out so-and-so's been pretending to love me, or, or maybe they genuinely love me, but they've been doing some other stuff and been hiding it. That's not an enjoyable process. And if you're both in that situation, well, <laughs> you don't even know each other. You don't even know each other living in genuineness for all of its mess that it will bring because people are messy. But if you can live in genuineness, that is the only way to ever enjoy relationships. And if you can live in genuineness in your relationship with God, knowing that he knows you better than you know yourself, if you can live in that place with him, then you can enjoy your relationship with him. Oh, you can be saved and still be in this hypocritical cycle. You can be saved for sure, but you will not enjoy that relationship the way you can enjoy it when you're genuine with God. And that's only possible because of grace. Because grace steps in and says, stop. I fixed it. I fixed you. There's no reason to fear. There's no reason to be ashamed. We have grace from God And we have grace for others when they aren't perfect either because they never will be. And that includes people when they're stuck in that cycle and you're feeling the wrath of their condemnation for saying that you're not enough and you don't meet the standard. You do meet the standard in Christ. You do. But we can still have grace for those people that don't quite get that yet. And we can have grace in our community when we mess up. So we're gonna talk, I think next week, a little bit more about this idea. What does it look like to live and exist in genuine relationships within the church? I was toying with the idea and then before church we had a conversation, I was like, yeah, we need to explore that idea. We need to explore what it means to live genuinely within within the church with one another, genuinely in relationship with God. What what does that even mean? What does that look like? Does anything go? What, what, What is this? Because we got grace and it covers everything, so we're gonna talk about that next week. But this week, I need you to understand that in Christ, you meet the standard. You don't fall short. That's done. In Christ, You are righteous because you have his righteousness. It's not your own. It's his righteousness. Why don't y'all stand up to your feet? God, you are God. We are not, we are not God. We recognize that. We know that. We recognize there is Failure in our lives daily. From all angles, all different aspects, it looks different for every single person. What seems like huge failures to some people are not for other people, and yet is the same deal. That in our humanity, we don't meet the standard, but we know that in you, we do meet the standard, Jesus. You are the standard, And we are in you and you are in us for all of eternity. There is nothing that we can do or have done that has surprised you or that ever will surprise you. And let you welcomed us in from the very first. You made the step. You put your foot forward and said, I'm coming for you. You're my treasure. I'm coming for you. because I love you. Lord, you created us for relationship. You created us to be in community with you and to experience community with others, God, and the only way we can do that is to be genuine and we're asking for that spirit. I'm asking for that spirit of uh, genuineness to rest in this place. I'm asking for the spirit of hypocrisy to be pushed out in the name of Jesus. We don't have to pretend in you, Jesus. We're made right in you. Lord God, shower us with your presence. Shower us with your love. We recognize the mercy that you have given us and we accept the grace that you have provided for us in the thing that you have done for us and in us. In Jesus. Lord, we love you. We love you. God, we just want to worship you. We want to recognize who you are and what you're doing. And we just pray this in Jesus' name, amen.